Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Well, has the government gone far enough to reassure the public with their updated living with COVID strategy? Taoiseach Michael Martin promises 1.2 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine will be administered by the end of March. I know how hard this is. I know the toll that it is having on so many people's mental health and well-being. We're joined live by the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Michael McGrath, and later by Irish Times journalist Mark Paul and Social Democrat TD Holly Cairns. And later in the show, the story behind missing Princess Latifah of Dubai. We speak to her London-based lawyer, Rodney Dixon. Do get in touch on Twitter or hashtag as always tonight, VMTV. So the Taoiseach has promised a major ramping up of the nation's vaccine programme as he announced an extension of level five restrictions until April 5th. Addressing the nation this evening, Michael Martin admitted that the emergence of the new B117 variant from the UK had significantly changed the dynamic and that a cautious approach was needed until the vaccine programme can be accelerated. He said that 82% of adults here will have had their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine by the end of June. As expected, the plan will see the phased reopening of schools from next Monday, starting with classes from junior infants through to second class and also leaving search students. They're the first who will go back. All other primary school students and fifth years will return two weeks later on the 15th of March. And all other level five restrictions will remain in place into April, meaning no change to things like the 5k limit, while non-essential retail will remain closed. You know, there's been quite a number of people in the public health side globally as well and in the UK who have said it's not dates, it's data that should drive uh, good policy decisions. Uh, and so that's the, 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 the approach we're taking. In the UK, they're, they're, they're more advanced in, in their vaccination uh, programme, so they have a different perspective and are looking at it through different lens uh, than we currently are, given our, our level of vaccination. So, but we, we were... We accept, and I think we're being honest in saying we're not giving the, the, the dates right out beyond, uh, you know, what we've what we announced tonight in terms of schools and childcare. Well, first tonight, Virgin Media's political correspondent Gavin Riley joins us from Government Buildings. Good evening to you, uh, Gavin. The government has been criticised, I suppose, over the last couple of weeks for mixed messages and perhaps a rather chaotic handling of COVID-19 at times. How has this revised living with COVID plan uh, been received this evening? 
Well, it was broadly clear a much more coherent message. All the little dribs and drabs that we've heard over the last couple of weeks all came together for official confirmation tonight. And broadly speaking, it all did at least make coherent sense. There was one little mix-up where when we looked at the brand new Living With Covid map, the, the PDF that has the five levels, levels one, two, three, four and five, as they're now supposed to exist, there was, whether it was a typo or some sort of mistake or whether the government is already changing the policy, we're not sure. But it did seem for a brief moment as if all sport had been cancelled. If you go and look at level five, no matches are apparently allowed to be uh, entertained under any circumstances at all. We put that to the Taoiseach and he said that wasn't the case, that the sports events that are allowed to go on last week are allowed to go on next week and until the end of April. So that was one little snafu in the whole thing, but otherwise it was a much more broadly coherent message. And of course, although there weren't the dates that a lot of people might have liked, particularly when you see what was announced in Britain yesterday, at least we did get some senses of clarity as regards what exactly is happening in schools, confirmation that the unions are on board with this reopening plan and that the rest of us, unfortunately, will be in lockdown at least until Easter weekend. So Six Nations matches will continue. Um, let's hope we get some good results then, Gavin. Uh, not a huge amount of data or dates there, but we did get um, a broad outline of how the vaccine programme is going to be rolled out. What do we know? What's going to happen between now and the end of June? Yeah, that's right. We got slightly more clarity on that than we'd ever heard before. And you heard the, the Tisha talking about that new target of 82% of people getting their first jab by the end of June. Now, it's debatable whether that is actually a new target because we knew that all adults were supposed to be completely sorted by the end of September. And if everyone's got their second dose by the end of September, that would mean they'd have to have gotten their first dose by the end of August. So maybe if you work backwards, it was always going to be the case that 82% of people are going to be getting it in June. But nonetheless, a firmer breakdown of exactly what doses we're going to get and how quickly we do expect to ramp them out. So there is backup now behind the government's target of having one million doses issued every month across April, May and June. And also confirmation as well that despite some bad news that was breaking this evening regarding AstraZeneca, that it doesn't uh, affect Ireland's plans. There was news this evening reported by Reuters that AstraZeneca is only going to deliver about half of its committed doses to the European Union for the second quarter. That would obviously be very bad news for a lot of European countries, but it seems that whether Ireland was forewarned or whether we were just prudent, we had only factored in getting about 50% of the promised AstraZeneca doses anyway. So we're expecting to get 800,000 doses of that, around 2 million doses of AstraZeneca when you roll in. Moderna, Johnson & Johnson and potentially the CureVac vaccine, which is the next one coming down the queue. All in all, we'd be receiving around 4.5 million doses of vaccines in Q2 and that does then mean that uh, five out of every six adults will have received at least one dose by the end of the first half of the year, all going well. And we know um, the schools are set to reopen for junior infants, senior infants, first and second class and leaving cert pupils. That's almost, I'd say, guaranteed that that's going to happen next Monday. But the remainder of the schools reopening is contingent on what exactly? Well, there wasn't any formal metric given and, and it is, in fact, it's a matter of open debate whether it's even appropriate to only allow two weeks in between every iteration. As we know, NEF had wanted this to be a very carefully staged process because they wanted to be able to study what impacts reopening schools for certain classes would have on the population as a whole. And even as it stands right now, if half of primary schools are going to be going back next week, plus leaving certs, it does mean that you have about 300 to 350,000 people going back on the roads between teachers and pupils who weren't going out 
this week and it's very difficult to see exactly how you can assess that in only a fortnight before you then decide to reopen it up to others anyway. So it is all still a little bit up in the air and I suppose it's one thing that ought to be taken as a little bit of a note of caution that although the government has now given dates for the reopening of all, uh, of, for, for most secondary schools, or for most pupils in secondary schools, for all pupils in primary schools and everything but childcare, it is all still a bit contingent on progress being made in the meantime because if it does turn out, and we all hope it doesn't, but if it does turn out that reopening primary schools for junior and senior infants in first and second class does have a meaningful impact on virus levels, then of course everything else is thrown into doubt. So all of the dates that were given this evening are all dependent on performance against the virus and that is why the Irish government hasn't decided to follow the British lead of giving specific dates for when we're supposed to get through each phase. Remember, Micheál Martin says he wants this to be one-way traffic. He says that when we ease restrictions, we don't want to have to go back into them again. But the government's own plan in the fine print does entertain the prospect of new variants arriving that our vaccines aren't capable of. And they haven't given specific dates for going through from levels 5, 4, 3, 2 and 1. So it does have to always have to be borne in the back of the mind that everything is dependent on past performance and the value of your shares can go up as well as down, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, Gavin Riley, as always, uh, thank you for your time this evening. Now joining me here in studio to discuss this revised living with COVID plan is Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, uh, Michael McGrath, you're very uh, welcome to the programme, Minister. You, um, we heard the Taoiseach saying the end is now truly in sight. This is to be one-way traffic. We're to go from level five down to level one. And you said earlier today, this needs to be the last lockdown. There cannot be a fourth lockdown. Do you feel confident saying that that can be achieved at this point? Uh, yes, I think it is largely in our own hands, to be honest. And I think what we tried to do today was to tell it straight that we are in an unprecedented situation. There is a high degree of uncertainty. The reality is that the new variants have changed the landscape fundamentally. It is almost like dealing with an entirely new virus to what arrived uh, in Ireland a year ago. Uh, and so we want to be realistic. We want to bring people with us. And we know this is incredibly difficult. People are hurting. Uh, a lot of people are really struggling financially uh, and people are just weary and tired of all of the restrictions that we've had to impose. But the big difference now is that there is light at the end of the tunnel and it is the vaccination programme. And the reality is, and when you look at the schedule we published today, that in quarter two, so from April to, to June, uh, we will have three times the number of vaccines, depending on you know the supply schedule materialising, and we believe it will, uh, compared to quarter one. I mean, so whatever in, you say then, Minister, does it have to be heavily caveated? Because it depends on the numbers, compliance, depends on supply coming as promised. You know, nothing can be guaranteed, can it, to the public? Well, for example, in, in relation to the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, we were aware of the news that broke today. We were aware of that in advance. It was factored into uh, the schedule that was published. So, you know, in total, in quarter two, uh, we expect to receive almost 3.9 million doses of, of vaccine. Uh, 600,000 of them, uh, touch wood, will be the, the Janssen uh, one-shot jab. Uh, so that'll be 600,000 people. Uh, the balance then in quarter two of about 3.3 .3 million, uh, it, 
requires two doses per person, so that's about 1. Uh, 1. 1.6 million. So you add the two of those and you're at about 2.2 million adults that can be fu fully vaccinated, essentially, from the supply that comes in quarter two. Uh, and you add to that uh, the line of sight we now have, which is pretty solid in relation to quarter one, uh, that there will be about one and a quarter million uh, doses arrive. So well, we're, we're, we're learning as we go along. Uh, and, you know, the, the vast majority of the supply has proven to be quite reliable. Uh, the issues around AstraZeneca are well documented documented and we have factored that into the numbers we have. Well, given what you're saying there, that look, you seem to be pretty confident at this point that the vaccines that we have promised are going to be delivered. Why were you not able to give a bit more detail in the plan today? Because it still is very vague how we're going to get from five to four or when. There's really no dates apart from the schools reopening and childcare. I think we know what we need to do. Uh, it does depend on a number of factors and, you know, Dr. Ronan Lynn would have spelled that out this evening uh, at the press conference. It is, of course, about virus numbers. It's about the number of people in hospital, which thankfully is falling, and the number of people in critical care. Uh, it does depend on the R number. You know, it's somewhere between 0.65 and 0.85. As of now, it's finely balanced. If that crept above one, uh, then the virus numbers start to rise again. So I think we need to acknowledge people have made huge progress, and that is thanks to the collective efforts of the Irish people and look at the prize that is now you know within reach we're on the cusp of about 320,000 children returning to school uh, next Monday the following Monday about a hundred thousand young children going to the early years uh, preschool program uh, and then a phased program of return for the rest of primary the rest of, of secondary so you know what is within reach is the prize but it's finely balanced and that's why we all have to just Unfortunately, uh, the reality is that we have to double down and continue what we're doing because it if is we working and we're making progress. If we stay on the current trajectory, can people be confident that we will be able to move out of level five or certainly ease a few more restrictions come April 5th based on the current trajectory? I think that is a very realistic objective. Uh, in about five weeks' time, uh, we will be carrying out a detailed review of the impact of what has been announced today. Uh, and in advance of the 5th of April, uh, we will make decisions about the next number of weeks and the next phase. Uh, and we've already flagged in the plan today uh, that the types of issues that we'd like to have a look at immediately then would be allowing more outdoor activities. I'd love to see our children back in the sports fields. I think they really need to get back, even if it's only training. I think that is essential. We want to see that happen. Uh, we know that the five kilometre uh, limit on people's movements is really restrictive and it's difficult for many people. We'd like to review that, but to be truthful, all of that is contingent on us continuing with the progress that we are making. Yep. The numbers are going the right direction. Uh, and, you know, having seen the scenes in our hospitals in January and into February, you know, we just simply just, have to continue on this path. Uh, to be clear to, with people, nothing is going to change. There'll be nothing else eased between now and April 5th, because at one stage we thought perhaps construction uh, might be allowed uh, to go back. That's not going to be touched, just to be clear. So we are giving certainty today about the position out to the 5th of April. And I know it's a hard message um, because it is almost six weeks. Um, but in about five weeks time, we will carry out that review and all going well, provided we continue with the progress uh, and things go in the right direction. And obviously the return of so many children to school will have to be carefully evaluated in terms of the impact. And I want to acknowledge and thank uh, all of the, uh, the teachers and staff in our schools for accommodating and facilitating that. It's so important for our country and for our children who've missed out on so much. You know, that's a big prize, the return of nine 
on COVID healthcare is also uh, about to commence, you know, and that is so important for yeah. people's uh, other health uh, needs and we need to move and implement How that as well. Concerned are you about the public at the moment? Because they do seem, and I probably count myself among that, that they're beginning to fray at the edges, that they're finding it more and more difficult to comply. I think that's perfectly understandable. It's human nature. You know, we we love to mix with each other. We we love to, you know, um, go and visit each other and do all of the normal things that um, that people do. But what we're doing is working. We are moving, you know, very clearly in the right direction in relation to all of the key metrics. Um, but it is finely balanced and we are dealing with variants now that are much more transmissible. Uh, does it concern you that the stats came out, I think, in the, over the, the weekends that showed that 30% of people are not observing uh, the 5K limit at this point? Yeah, I mean, that was based on, on certain data, I think, from mobile phone coverage, if I'm not mistaken. And that only tells you so much. People may well have been making essential trips. But look, we're not naive. We but know it was that, going in the wrong direction. We know that some it? people are not uh, fully complying. But I think that the vast majority are. And the message to people is that, you know, we are moving in the right direction. We can see the prize. It is within reach. Uh, there is an a very ambitious vaccination programme uh, that is fully resourced. Yeah. Ireland has now essentially committed to purchasing about 18.5 million okay. vaccines, enough to vaccinate about 10 million people. Is one of the difficulties, uh, Minister, that there has been so much mixed messaging from this government over the last couple of weeks? Would you accept that? Look, communications uh, is always a challenge and, you know, people are, are working long hours, working incredibly hard uh, and trying to deliver difficult messages sometimes. Is that what uh, happened with Minister Donnelly last night? I think he was on Clareburn Live and, you know, made a mistake about the union still being in negotiations. He was on here two weeks ago, made a mistake about quarantining in your room. Is he responsible for some of these communication gaps? Well, is look, that the reason um, somebody's just he, exhausted? He, he's human like the rest of us uh, and we all make mistakes, but nobody's working harder than him. And uh, I've seen that firsthand uh, every day. So is I he think... Under the, just too much pressure? Minister, look, he's he's doing the job. I think as well as possibly could be expected, um, but it is a collective task. You know, all of us in government share equally the responsibility uh, of bringing the country with us on all of these issues, uh, and so we are. But you all do involved. appreciate, I suppose, that when there's mistakes like that, particularly when it comes to something like schools and parents are on edge, and you know, children are on edge. When are we going to get back? That it really damages confidence in the government and it frustrates people hugely. I accept that. But, you know, everything is moving at 100 miles an hour and decisions are being made on uh, issues that are of such importance to people and families and communities around the country. Uh, we are doing the very best we can. And what we tried to do today was to be honest with people and explain to them what needs to be done to get us to the end point. And there is an end in sight, you know, and that is the great thing uh, about the vaccination programme. The, inter the international the data is so positive uh, in relation to the effectiveness uh, of all of the vaccines. Uh, when we see the countries that are ahead of us, uh, in Israel, for example, uh, the data is powerful. Uh, so that is Speaking what's of countries I suppose that are ahead of us, I want to um, refer to an article that Naomi O'Leary wrote today in the Irish Times. And she was critical of this government because Denmark and Germany um, bought up any of the spare Pfizer vaccines that other countries like Greece and Poland, I think, decided not to buy their full allocation from the EU. Denmark was straight in there, Germany was straight in there, and bought them up. Did Ireland not know this was happening, not know they were 
available or just decide not to bid for them? Or what happened there? We have taken every opportunity that is there to uh, purchase as many vaccines as we possibly can. You know, we now what have... What happened? Why did Denmark get the spares and Ireland didn't? Because they are ahead of us now in the vaccination programme. And as you've said time and time again, this is really finely balanced. The vaccination programme is the way out of this. It is to be out of it. And, you know, we have a vaccination programme uh, that is going to cost somewhere between four and five hundred million euro um, because we must spend that money. That is uh, the exit door uh, from this awful pandemic. Uh, but no opportunity, then, no opportunity uh, is being missed uh, from Ireland purchasing additional vaccines uh, through the European mechanisms that have been agreed. But I think uh, we people have, would say today that was an opportunity that was missed. Uh, well, we have purchased all available vaccines that have been uh, available to member states. Uh, about 18.5 million vaccine doses uh, we have committed to purchasing, which would be enough to, to vaccinate over 10 million people. Uh, and the supplies time is of the are coming essence. I'm just wondering, no, it is. why is it that Denmark bought up the spare vaccines and Ireland didn't? Uh, and I still haven't got a clear answer. Uh, Ireland has bought additional vaccines that became available. Uh, there have been multiple announcements of uh, additional vaccines that became available uh, through the European Union in the last number of, of weeks. Uh, and at every opportunity, we've put our hand up uh, and I have said to Minister Donnelly, you do what you need to do uh, to buy whatever vaccines are available so that we can get them to the Irish people. So no effort or resource has been spared to secure as many vaccines as quickly as we possibly um, can. Gabriel Scully, who you'll be familiar with, um, spoke uh, earlier today on Newstalk and said it's time for the Irish government to ring the UK government, who are clearly miles ahead of us in the vaccination programme, and if they have any surplus, get your dibs in first. Has any contact been made with the UK government in this regard? Well, look, they are in the middle of a huge vaccination programme and they have a lot of work to do and they did start uh, ahead of everybody else because they did so uh, outside of the, the European framework. Um, but, and I saw what Boris Johnson uh, announced yesterday, obviously, and, you know, the to be fair to them, they've made great progress in their vaccination programme. But, has that uh, but it's, not, been put in, it's not the case that they have spare vaccines to take and give uh, to other countries. You know, they're looking after uh, British people, which is understandable. They have a lot of vulnerable people yet to be fully vaccinated. So you don't believe that they're going to have surplus? Is that the case? We have no evidence that they do. Um, but look, we'll take vaccines from uh, wherever they may be available. Uh, and the commitment I can give on behalf of the government is uh, no effort will be spared. We've extended the economic supports, uh, as you know, to the end of June now, the pandemic unemployment payment, the wage subsidy scheme, COVID restriction support scheme, the local authority rates waiver, the new business aid scheme. You know, Do you we, hope, Minister, are you confident that come the end of June, you will be able to start reining in some of those supports? Because we will be in a position to reopen more and more and more of our economy. Is that the plan at this point? Is that why you picked the end of June? Well, the commitment we've given uh, is that there will be no cliff edge, irrespective of when uh, the uh, the date comes that we have to start tapering supports. And we will at some point. Uh, these are extraordinary supports uh, that we cannot afford, afford indefinitely. Uh, but we can afford them for now. Uh, we will continue with them uh, and they won't end abruptly. So we can give that commitment to, to the business community. Uh, in April, we'll set out our new projections in terms of our macroeconomic uh, environment. Uh, and then we are publishing a new national economic plan. We're working now on the recovery phase because I see see great prospects for the Irish economy uh, to start recovering in the second half of this year and all of the forecasts from international bodies uh, and domestic uh, organisations is that the Irish economy will recover strongly next year but that recovery will start this year but the key is the vaccination programme. So they will programme. be giving an, an opportunity to reopen, I mean the Taoiseach said mid-summer, I think 
that's the end of June for a lot of people. Uh, are you hoping in July and August a lot of those businesses that are relying on those sports will get that opportunity to rebound? They will later in the year. I'm not going to put a date on it because uh, there's just too much uncertainty. Uh, but we know what the way out of this is. We're making progress and the overall message is let's stay the course. Let's see this through um, because what we're doing is working. We are aware of all of the consequences and that's why we're providing uh, huge support to communities uh, and to businesses and to households because we're acutely conscious of the impact that all of this is uh, having on people's lives. Sorry, just finally, Minister, and I'm running out of time uh, here. I know you're a parent, you're yourself. I know how you understand how important it is that children get back to school. We have a date next Monday, I think is guaranteed for the classes that I outlined. The next significant date is at March the 15th. Is that a guarantee at this point? And does that give enough time to examine the effect that 330,000 children back on the move, back onto school, you know, could have on the COVID figures? So to be clear, uh, it is the agreed plan uh, that the 1st of March will see uh, over 320,000 kids returning to school uh, and the two weeks later, the next batch will go. Um, you know, there is, of course, the caveat that it always have to, has to be kept under review. There are very few guarantees in dealing with um, this global pandemic, uh, but it is the agreed plan, uh, which is supported by NEFIT, is agreed by the education partners, fully signed up to by government. And to be honest with you, it's up to all of us uh, to make sure that we keep the plan on track now and make sure uh, that we will come out gradually of what will be the final lockdown. All right, we'll leave it there. But Minister, I do appreciate you coming in to us this Thank evening, you. Minister Michael McGrath. Now, after the break, Irish Times Business Affairs correspondent Mark Paul and Social Democrat TD Holly Cairns will be here for their analysis of the updated Living with COVID-19 plan. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're very welcome back. Now joining me here in studio to analyse the living with COVID plan is Irish Times Business Affairs correspondent Mark Paul and Social Democrat TD Holly Cairns and via Skype by Professor Anthony Staines. Uh, Anthony, I might actually start with you. The positives and the negatives uh, in this report. The positives are there's, there are clear series of steps described. The, there is a phased return of schools. There is a clear acknowledgement of the importance of the role of vaccination, the importance of the role of public health. All of this matters enormously. Uh, the negatives are that it's not clear where it's going. The, there's no obvious reason why 
they shouldn't continue doing what they're doing in this for foreseeable future. And it could take a lot longer, perhaps, than people expect for this plan to achieve what is desired. They talk about using every measure available to bring down the number of cases, but most of the measures they, they focus on are the behaviour of the Irish people. And we know Irish people are already bearing a very heavy burden bringing case numbers down, but the government is still not doing its part. So there's talk of hotel quarantine, it's mentioned in the document, but only from what they call category two countries, which is a small subset of countries and not perhaps where the major risk lives. There is, and there's no clarity as to when that will happen. There is no clarity as to what happens if there are supply disruptions in the vaccine chain. And we've already had one announced today by AstraZeneca that there will be some further disruptions in their supply. And I don't see that they give a correct approach to the public as to how long this is likely to take. Their current proposal with the phase return of schools could well lead to a rise in cases again, perhaps towards the end of March, beginning of April, which is what, what none of us want to see. All but right. we're not doing all the things we could do to stop that. I just want to put that to our panel. Mark Paul, um, there has been a huge amount of uh, criticism of the government over the last couple of weeks about you know, mixed messaging and leaking and uncertainty. Did this give some level of certainty, do you think, to the Irish public this evening and perhaps a little bit of hope too? Um, there was certainly a little bit of hope in there, or at least they were trying to give a little bit of hope. As regards the economy and businesses, the one thing that businesses really like is certainty. Uh, it's what businesses thrive on, and it's the one thing the government wasn't able to give them. Um, in fairness to the government, I, I think if they did give them any sort of certainty, they'd probably be spoofing, because um, the, the, the rollout of the vaccines and the behaviour of the variants, these are the unknowns that will drive the position that we're going to be in in several months' time. And if you were to tell the business community now, we, we definitely know when you're going to be open, when this sector can open, when this sector can open. Um, I think people would see through that. I think they'd be just telling people what they want to hear. Um, it's probably better to just give them the answer that politicians really generally don't like giving, which is, I don't know. I don't know when you can reopen. Which is what I think Michael McGrath was kind of saying this evening. This is finely balanced, finely balanced. It is, there it, are a lot of uncertainties it, still. It, it is finely balanced. I mean, if you look at the different sectors really that are in play here, the construction sector, it's the only sector that I know that's actually pushing for a reopening. The other sectors, retail and hospitality, you can sense the frustration bubbling up and building amongst businesses there, but they're not pushing for a reopening yet for the simple reason that they all got burnt by what happened in late December and in January, and no sector of the economy wants to be blamed for any sort of resurgence. So um, I think in the hospitality sector as well, another thing that's bubbling up and coming down the line is that a lot of businesses may go bust in the second half of the year, particularly when the supports and the business supports are whipped away. Um, and that's going to be a very, very difficult time for the government. So maybe it needs to keep its power dry for the hospitality sector until then, because at the moment, what that sector really needs is financial support. As regards reopening, who knows when that could happen. Uh, Holly, what did you think was missing from the report? What else do you think should have been in there? Um, a strategy, I think, would have been really helpful. So what we basically have, and like Anthony said, is that we now know about the opening of schools and childcare, but apart from that, there's nothing really new in the revised Living with COVID plan. And I think what people really wanted and what people really needed was that new strategy. You know, the, the numbers are kind of stubbornly staying at the, at the same pace at the moment. And like you said, 
you know, the hospitality sector and people, they're not lobbying to, to reopen because I think, you know, we've all learned from how this has played out, how this strategy of rolling lockdowns has played out and people don't want that anymore. But I is think the government not a bit sort of damned if they do and, you know, damned if they don't, if they give dates and then they can't deliver dates because the numbers don't go a certain way, the vaccines aren't delivered, then, you know, they're, they're accused of getting the message wrong. Totally understandable, but like nobody would damn them for having a strategy that would be really effective, I think. You know, they wouldn't be damned for doing that at all. I certainly wouldn't be damning them. Like, you know, it, it, it says in the, in the new report as well as it acknowledges that with new variants, we have to look at, you know, the risk of the vaccine not being effective on them. So if we take that into consideration in reality, if, if that's in this revised plan that, you know, this is a real risk, then what, what they wouldn't be damned for doing is introducing proper hotel mandatory quarantining. And what they've done is they've introduced it for 20 countries and that legislation will be going through the House over the next two weeks. This was so-called, you know, emergency mandatory hotel quarantine legislation, which has taken six weeks. That's not enough in the way of urgency. And I think, yes, everybody wants to see the hospitality sector reopening. They're suffering so much. And like particularly, say, like in rural areas like mine, you talk about perhaps loads of them not being able to reopen. If you take, for example, a hotel in a rural town or village, that is the heart of the community. It's the biggest employer. They, you know, host all of the weddings, all of the funerals, they charity events. Like it's, you know, everybody wants that, but they're not lobbying for it because we saw what happened the last time we reopened. So what's the plan? We're going to reopen this time based on what? We haven't achieved a particular number. We haven't made a real or meaningful effort to keep out new variants that, like I said, the vaccine may or may not work on. That I think like what the... The, the strategy, I think, would probably be at this point, it's the vaccine, isn't it? By the end of June, four months away, 82% of the Irish population um, of adults who want the vaccine will have had the vaccine. That is the strategy at this point. That was the strategy really in the UK, wasn't it? And it, and it does appear to be working over there. The vaccine is a great part of it. But like I said, with new strains, like for example, the P1 variant, we don't know how the, the vaccine responds to that yet. But, so but, but what, what sort of strategy do people want from another point of view? I mean, outside of the zero COVID strategy, which Australia and New Zealand are following and maybe a handful of other countries, no other country has really cracked a strategy for living with the virus. I mean, it's the great failure of people who always argue against lockdown. Um, but it's you know, you know, what is the what what is the alternative? No country has managed, with the exception possibly of the Norwegians and the Finns. No country in Europe has certainly managed it. The sort of you know, the, the, the I think there's way too much of a focus on mandatory hotel quarantining mm. as some sort of a silver bullet that's going to bring us to some position. Sorry. I mean, I mean, at the moment, at the moment, the, the the reality is is that the reason why we have such high numbers here is domestic transmission. It's got nothing to do with the virus coming right, or. So it's just factually incorrect. So there's very recent science, you know, research has been done on the scientists and doctors together. And they found that after the first wave, we really suppressed the numbers down so much. So we had four cases a day in July. And in the second wave, they checked. And in the second wave, there was one instance, one case but, of but the variants that were we sorry, we, not we, finished, we, we had of six, the first we had six, wave. We had and 600 now, cases a day. A, because of the, the B117 yeah. variant, that's 90% of our cases now. So okay, I just want to say that it's just, you know, just keep spreading around in here. There isn't, a, the there isn't a single country in. in Europe, there isn't a single country in Europe doing what the Social Democrats wants to do, which is mandatory 14-day quarantine. Does that mean that we shouldn't do it? Because it mean, somebody it means, else is it means doing that it. Ireland, We've seen what works Ireland globally. Is a small country. And it's been a year now of rolling lockdowns. Why would we not just look at what's worked if, 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 and adopt that method? Sure. We believe in science. It's sure. not outlandish. Sure, I'm not saying it's outlandish. I'm saying there's no other country in Europe doing this. And if it's such a slam I heard dunk, you the first why, and why, second why, time that you said there's no other country in Europe doing it. And that's true. 
But well, there were seven. There was almost six hundred cases a day today. But so, and, and so how many of those were due to mandatory to people to not having mandatory hotel quarantine in place? And ninety percent of the cases at the moment are due to that. Focus is, is no, the focus now no, should not be on ensuring. They are not. The government is saying that ninety percent of the the focus now not be on ensuring that we are going to be in a position. Holly, ninety percent of the cases are due to the UK variant. Should the should the focus now not be be ensuring that we can vaccinate? the million people a month come April? Should that not be where the real focus is now? I, I think most other countries in Europe, and certainly if you look at the UK or if, if you look around at France and at Germany, pretty much everything is, uh, is, is uh, pretty much all of the countries are, are putting their eggs in this one basket. Because as we said, as we sort of discussed here already, it's hard to see an alternative coherent right. strategy um, um, with a list of do's and don'ts on uh, it. I just want to let Anthony stay. <laughs> I think you were listening in there, Anthony, and, and looking to get back yeah. in. I mean, very, very bluntly, this is a really high-risk approach. Germany, we've been asked by German public health people, why has Ireland not done zero COVID? Because we're the most obvious place in Europe to do it. The no COVID movement is gaining political support in Germany, and they've closed their borders with several other countries in the last few weeks. They haven't closed their borders. All right, so this is going to be an option for us. If we don't take this option, a substantial right. number of additional people will die. All right. Unfortunately, we'll we have to sick. leave it uh, there. Um, um, that's, that's our choice. That's the government's choice. My thanks to uh, Professor Anthony Staines and uh, to Mark Paul and to Holly Cairns. After the break, we're going to speak to Princess Latif of Dubai's lawyer, Rodney Dixon, in London. You're very welcome back. Now to a story that has gained international headlines across the world. Princess Latifah of Dubai and the story behind a missing princess. And joining us from London is the princess's lawyer, Rodney Dixon. Uh, Rodney, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us uh, this evening. Many of us will have watched with interest uh, the documentary on Panorama recently, which featured tapes from Princess Latifah, uh, where she's looking for help to try and escape, she says, from a kidnap situation uh, that her father has overseen. How did you come to be involved in this case? I uh, became involved uh, in uh, 2019 when I was approached by the uh, Free Latifa campaign. Uh, David Haig and Tina, who've made statements uh, recently uh, as well. Uh, and I was instructed by the princess and them, uh, given that they were extremely concerned about her well-being. Uh, so we took action immediately to the United Nations and other bodies. Just remind people of the background to this case, if you could. The, the, the background is that the princess has been disappeared now for a number of, of years, uh, having tried to uh, escape, uh, but was then captured and brought back into captivity uh, in Dubai in an unknown location. Uh, the High Court in, in uh, the uh, case uh, involving her stepmother has found that she was kidnapped, as was her sister. Uh, we've taken various steps uh, at the level of the United Nations to bring attention to her case uh, and to get her safe release. 
And just outline for, to people who her father is and the connections, I suppose, that he would have across the world, and particularly in the UK and in Ireland. Yes, yeah, so her father, Sheikh Mohammed, is the ruler of Dubai, uh, a very prominent political figure uh, in the UAE uh, and, and well connected around the world, including in the United Kingdom, a very wealthy person with a lot of business and trade interests. Uh, and, and he has recently stated that she is safe. Uh, however, there, there is no proof of that, and, and that's what we are, are pushing to obtain, to ensure that she is indeed safe and that she can be released. So what is the last communication that anybody has had uh, with the princess? Well, the, the, the videos that uh, she was able to make to, to get out was, was the last time she was able to speak uh, from her secret location. Uh, but for a number of months now, there's been no contact. And, and that's our real worry, uh, what her current situation is. And, and hence, the decision to release the videos uh, and to bring as much attention to this as possible uh, and take all potential action to ensure that she is secure and safe. Where do we think or do we have any idea where the princess is at the moment? I mean, her, her location is, is unknown. Uh, it's, it's somewhere in a family residence or similar kind of residence uh, in uh, Dubai, but she's in captivity. She can't leave. Uh, and she's unable to communicate with the outside world. So that is incommunicado detention. It's arbitrary and unlawful under international law and all human rights standards. And it's for that reason that steps must now be taken to release her. And what is it that her family have said about the reasons that they have kept her captive? I, I believe they say she has bipolar disorder, that she's a very vulnerable person, and that this is essentially for her own good. Yes, they have hinted at those kinds of reasons, health reasons, uh, but produced no uh, evidence uh, to that effect. Uh, and the evidence that we have, which we've submitted to the UN, shows that she doesn't have any of these alleged disorders or uh, is, is not unhealthy in any way that would prevent her from being a free person and being able to live a normal life like, like any of us. Uh, and the, the, the evidence clearly shows that there's, there's no reason uh, for her to be detained in, in, in this way. Uh, she hasn't been tried or, or convicted of, of any crime. Uh, and there, there's, there's no justification for this conduct. Are you confident at this point that she is alive and well? Is the UN confident that she is alive? Uh, the United Nations have very recently uh, asked for proof of life. Uh, there hasn't been a direct response to that, other than a general statement saying that she is in the care of her family, but, but no evidence produced. Uh, and certainly she has not been released. Uh, if everything is, is in order, which we truly hope it is, then, then the authorities there should allow access to her, allow independent 
experts to see her produce that evidence. If, if there's nothing to hide, then, then make it all public. I just want to ask you uh, about, I suppose, an Irish angle to this story, which is a visit that our own former president of Ireland, Mary Robinson, made uh, to the princess. She had a photograph taken with her and spoke out afterwards, I suppose, in line with what the family had been saying, that she was a very vulnerable person and the family were looking after her. Now, she's since come out and say that she was tricked, I suppose, into that situation. What impact did Mary Robinson's visit have at the time? Well, it, it achieved, unfortunately, exactly the opposite uh, result of having a prominent international person visit. Uh, it, it didn't ensure that she was uh, protected. Uh, in fact, it, it prolonged the situation. But fortunately, now that has been clarified. Mary Robinson has come out very clearly and explained the, the full circumstances. Uh, and it's, it's vital now that the UN go in directly uh, and ensure that they do have contact with the princess uh, and, and get her out of that situation. The, the UN is there to enforce international law and human rights standards, and, and they should pursue that. Uh, and we'd also encourage Mary Robinson herself, as she has done now in speaking out, to take all steps she can to ensure the safety of the princess. What do you think she can do at this point? Well, she, she can use the fact that she has seen the princess before, that she is in a prominent position and uh, ha has drawn attention to this matter with her recent statements, to use all of her contacts to reach out uh, and, and make sure that the princess is safe. Uh, it's, it's, it's about ensuring now that nothing bad happens, that, that, that the right thing is done by all parties concerned mm. to release Princess Latifah and allow her to leave, to travel, uh, to uphold her rights. These are rights we all value and they should be enjoyed by her like all of us. All right, we will leave it there, but I thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you. And still with me in studio is Mark Paul and joining by Skype is Colm O'Gorman from Amnesty International. Uh, Colm, the Department of Foreign Affairs said it will await to see what emerges uh, from that engagement between the UN and the UAE before it really makes uh, any comment here. Could it go further? Well, I mean, the first thing that needs to happen, as Rodney said, is the U UAE has the responsibility to immediately ensure uh, Latifah's freedom of movement. Um, but all states, including Ireland, should be calling um, on uh, um, the UAE to ensure that she's free to leave. They should also be supporting calls for an effective UN investigation into the case, given the incommunicado tension that's gone on now for over three years. Uh, that's beyond question at this point. But most importantly, all states, including Ireland, should be stepping up and publicly denouncing the UAE's authorities' uh, human rights record, particularly on freedom of expression, and they should be using any leverage that they have with the authorities there to ensure that Latifa is released, but also condemn the ongoing repression of dissent in the country. Because whilst Princess Latifa's case has become increasingly uh, um, high, high uh, getting a lot of public attention, there's a pattern of this kind of repression now going back many, many years in the UAE, and states really need to step up. And why and do you think they are not stepping up, Colin McGorman? Look, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, a lot of diplomacy of this kind often happens bilaterally and um, behind closed doors, and that's important. You know, banging on tables isn't always useful or effective. Uh, but all states should be using all mechanisms available, but whether it's, as Ireland can do, via EU, EU, the EU's foreign policy uh, programme, for instance, can be significant here, or an engagement in UN fora like the Human Rights Council and others, where we have a significant voice. 
So right. we need much right. more clear public confirmation of the UAE authorities and clear demands for peace, but also an end to the appalling repression of dissent that we've seen in the country for a very long time now indeed. All right, thank you uh, for that, Colin McGorman. Um, Mark, is it realistic, do you think, that the Irish government is going to speak out against an ally like um, Princess Latifah's father, um, who is a ruler in Dubai? Look, look, it's, it's, it's unlikely that even if Ireland does speak out that it's going to have a huge impact. That's not to say that Ireland shouldn't continue to speak out on an issue of human rights, but it's still going to stay in the media no matter what happens, because it's like um, elements of a Disney film, albeit a very dark one with a princess locked in her kingdom, her father won't let her out, smuggling out messages. Um, it's a very, very dark and disturbing story. And, and they do have quite strong links to him here in this country, don't sure, they? Sure, through horse racing, for example. I mean, I mean, Ireland obviously is a big horse racing country and, 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 and uh, Maktoum has, um, has interests uh, over on this side of the world. Um, so look, look, maybe Ireland could add to a chorus of voices. Um, Ireland on its own isn't going to be able to do a hell of a lot, but the attention should stay in the story um, and because, you know, a young woman's uh, welfare is at stake. And do we feel Mary Robinson will do as um, Rodney Dixon said there, come out and speak again, or has she been very badly burnt by this situation? I think she's been damaged by it. Um, um, what the, the, bit, the most damage that has been done to Mary Robinson is that she looks a little bit naive. And I think for such a senior politician and such a senior international figure to look like, as she said herself, um, um, she was horribly tricked in her words. And to be horribly tricked in that way, at that kind of a level, um, I think makes her look naive. It's damaging. And, you know, it wasn't her finest error by any stretch. Uh, we did ask her for a comment this evening. Um, but Mary Robinson, we were told, has no further comment to make on this case at this time. Uh, many thanks, uh, Mark, for your contribution this evening. That's all we have time for. The next news bulletin will be at 7am tomorrow morning on Ireland AM. But from the team here, good night and thank you for watching. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle. And we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com